are listening to Rio Bravo Q Week podcast, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program in Bakersfield, California, a UCLA-affiliated program sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. This podcast was created for educational purposes only. Visit your primary care provider for additional medical advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rio Bravo Q Week. This is our episode 161, uh, and we're going to be talking about depression. And depression is the bread and butter of primary care. You may see at least one patient a day, at least, I would say, when you're working, for example, full-time in a federally qualified health center like we do here in this program. And so it is very common. It's a very common complaint among our patients. And sometimes a patient might come to you complaining of all their symptoms and not necessarily is going to tell you, you know, I'm depressed. But you will be able to identify some signs and symptoms that may be confused with other organic diseases. So today, hopefully, we're going to help you uh, learn or review how you can de- um, diagnose depression, either by using tools or other or in other ways. So we have future doctors here with us, and we have Maddie and Jane, and they're going to introduce themselves right now. Hello, my name is Madeline Tenna, and I'm a third-year medical student at Western University of Health Sciences. Hi, I'm Jane Park, a third-year medical student from Western as well. So Madeline, you go by Maddie, right? Yes. Okay, <laughs> and then you go by... Jane, Jane, like Jane from Tarzan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. And I hope everyone can enjoy this episode. So you can take it away. Thanks. Thanks for inviting us. Um, I'll get started. So I'd like to start with the definition of depression. So per, per language of mental health, depression can be defined as a mood, a symptom, a syndrome of associated disorders, or a specific mental disorder. With regards to mood, depression is associated with feelings of sadness, despair, emptiness, discouragement, and hopelessness. The sense of having no feelings or appearing tearful can also be a form of depressed mood. A depressed mood can also be a part of collection of symptoms that explain a syndrome. Yeah, so what is a syndrome? So per the American Psychiatric Association DSM-5-TR, depressive disorders commonly include sad, empty, irritable mood, accompanied by changes in one's functional capacity. They can be classified by severity and recurrence and associated with hypomania, mania, or psychosis. Depressive disorders include major depressive disorder, including major depressive episodes, persistent depressive disorder, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, substance-induced depressive disorder, depressive disorder due to a medical condition, other specified depressive disorder and unspecified depressive disorder. You got to include. You got to include some unspecified everywhere, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so for today's podcast, we're going to specifically be covering unipolar depressive disorder, and that's also known to most people as major depressive disorder. Major depressive disorder is a mood disorder primarily characterized by at least one major depressive episode without manic or hypomanic episodes. Depressive episode is a period of at least two weeks of depressed mood or anhedonia in nearly all activities for most of the day, nearly every day, with four or more associated symptoms in the same two weeks. 
We'll discuss specific symptoms for diagnosis further on. So, Mari and Jane, so you are saying that depression is not just feeling sad, right? Oh, yeah, So exactly. it's, it's more than that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, our patients, they might be struggling with depression for a while, and sometimes their parents might, might tell them, you know, go and go for a workout, you should, you, you should be able to be happy, but it's, a, it's not in, in the patient's will just to be sad, you know. Oh, yeah. the, these feelings of sadness are, are out of willpower, mm -hmm. so sometimes patients need additional help. So that's the kind of sadness we're talking about here is really depression and not just feeling sad. Absolutely. Um, and, it's, and it's unfortunately, it's so common. Um, so nationally or regionally representative surveys in 21 countries estimate that the 12-month prevalence of major depressive disorder across all countries is 5%. Furthermore, the prevalence of major depressive disorder plus persistent depressive disorder in certain developed countries like the United States or countries in Europe is approximately 18%. Yeah, and who does it affect? Well, multiple studies consistently indicate that in the general population of the U.S., the average age of onset for unipolar major depression and for persistent depressive disorder is approximately 30 years old. I think this is very interesting, but during 2020, approximately one-fifth of U.S. adults have reported, feeling, re reported receiving a diagnosis by a healthcare provider, with the highest prevalence found amongst young adults aged 18 to 24, or Gen Z as we call it, Within the U.S., um, there was considerable geographic variation in the prevalence of depression, with the highest state and county um, estimates of depression observed among the Appalachian and southern Mississippi Valley regions. Yeah, so as we can see, it affects a lot of people and a lot of young individuals as well. But why do we care? Because depression is associated with impaired life quality. It can impair a person's social, physical, and psychological functioning. Also, depression is associated, surprisingly or not surprisingly, with mortality. A study done by UPenn Family Practice and Community Medicine in 2005 showed that among older primary care patients over a two-year follow-up interval, depression contributed as much to mortality as did myocardial infarction or diabetes. So when, wherever mortality is mentioned, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's something really important for us, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. A prospective study from 2005 to 2017 that followed 186 patients for up to 38 years further showed that patients with major depressive disorder had 20 times, 27 times higher incidence rate of suicide than the general population. And patients dying by suicide visit primary care physicians more than twice as often as mental health clinicians. It's estimated that 45% of patients who died by suicide saw their primary care physician in the month before their death. Only 20% saw a mental health professional a month before their death. Unfortunately, I think this is very unfortunate, but however, it seems that primary care physicians often do not ask about suicidal symptoms in depressive patients. In 2007, a study by Mitchell Feldman at the University of California in San Francisco showed that 152 family physicians and internists who participated in a standardized patient um, study with antidepressants, suicide was explored in only 36% of the encounters with those patients. So physicians, let's not forget about asking patients with depression specifically about suicidal ideation. Amen. <laughs> You're so right. Physicians, including primary care physicians, should ask patients with depression about suicidality um, with questions such as, do you wish you were dead? In the past few weeks, have you been thinking about killing yourself? Do you have a plan to kill yourself? And have you ever tried to kill yourself? So that's very alarming. 45% of the patients, so... That's, that's, that's something that we should improve on. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
And one way to improve on it is through screening. So if you were to talk, let's talk about screening. The USPSTF recommends screening for depression in all adults, 18 years old and over, regardless of risk factors. There are some risk factors that can increase risk. Um, for example, a patient's temperament, um, like neuroticism, also general medical illness and family history. Um, it can also be genetic. With first-degree family members of people with major depressive disorder, um, they have a two to four times higher risk of major depressive disorder than the general population. Uh, furthermore, social history can unfortunately also increase risk. Um, for example, sexual abuse, racism, and other forms of discrimination. And I want to highlight that the risk is present in women also because uh, they may, the risks may be related to specific reproductive life stages, such as premenstrual period, postpartum period, and perimenopause period. So the USPSTF includes pregnant individuals and patients in the postpartum period to be screened for depression at all times. So everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're probably wondering about children as well. Um, so the U.S. Um, Preventative Services Task Force recommends depression screening for major depressive disorder in adolescents aged 12 to 18 years. Similarly, the guidelines for adolescent depression in primary care, or the GLAD-PC, has recommended annual screening for depression in children aged 12 or older. Some tools used for screening in this age group are the Patient Health Care, sorry, Health Questionnaire for Adolescents, or PHQA, and primary care version of the Beck Depression Inventory. And for the general adult population, it's recommended that all patients not currently receiving treatment for depression be screened using the Patient Health Questionnaire 2. PHQ2 is a survey scored 0 to 6. The survey asks two questions. Over the last two weeks, how often have you been bothered by any of the following problems? And then the first one is little interest or pleasure in doing things. And the second is feeling down, depressed, or hopeless. An answer should be given in a numerical rating. Zero means not at all. One means several days. Two means more than half the days. And three means nearly every day. And a score of three or of three or greater than three is considered positive, and a follow-up full clinical assessment is now recommended. Also know that the PHQ-2 has a sensitivity of 91% and a specificity of 67% when compared to a semi-structured interview. Keep in mind that the PHQ-2 may be slightly less sensitive to older individuals. Individuals who screen positive with PHQ-2 should have additional screening with the PHQ-9, which is a nine-item self-clinician-administered brief questionnaire that is specific to depression. Its content maps directly to the DSM-5 criteria for major depression. So let's talk about the PHQ-9. It's a set of nine questions, as the na name has it, and the answers are scored similarly to PHQ-2 with a numerical scoring between zero and three. Zero is not at all, one is several days, Two is more than half the days. Three is nearly every day. Dr. Ariaza, will you be my patient today? Of course, but I'm going to be an easy patient. Let's be honest. <laughs> like Sometimes gathering this information can be challenging, uh, but I'm going to be an easy patient of you, so you can start. All right, thanks. So, Dr. Ariaza, for the past two weeks, how often have you been bothered by any of the following problems? So, have you had little interest or pleasure in doing things? Um, I would say sometimes. Is it several days or nearly every day? Okay, nearly every day. Mm, I see. Uh, have you felt down, depressed, or hopeless? Yes, every day. I'm sorry to hear that. 
Have you had trouble falling or staying asleep or sleeping too much? Not really. Okay. Have you felt tired or had little energy? Mm, not at all. Okay. Have you noticed having poor appetite or overeating? Oh, yes. That happens to me every single day. Okay. <laughs> And have you felt bad about yourself? Um, for example, that you're a failure or have let yourself or your family down? Yes, I would say several days in the last two weeks, yeah. Got it. And have you had any trouble concentrating on things such as reading the newspaper, watching TV, or doing things you like? Yes, several days. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed yourself moving or speaking so slowly that other people could have noticed? Or being so fidgety or restless that you've been moving around a lot more than usual? No, not really. Got it. And have you had any thoughts that you would be better off dead or of hurting yourself? Oh, no. Never. Got it. So, Dr. Ariaza, <laughs> based on your answers, your score is 12, which I wouldn't tell the patient the score, but uh, mm -hmm. for the purpose of the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, so, in regards to that score, um, just to let you know, so he would have a moderate um, score for depression. Um, so, for scoring, regarding severity, a total score of 1 to 4 suggests minimal depression. 5 um, to 9 suggests mild, and then 10 to 14, which is where the score was, would suggest moderate. A 15 to 19 would be moderately severe, and then 20 to 27 would show severe depression. A PHQ-9 with patient score over 10 has a specificity of 88% and a sensitivity of 88% for major depressive disorder. So no physicians have been harmed with this simulation. <laughs> let's, just, let's just clarify that. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, so, um, you know, the score is just something that you have to interpret with the patient. You know, sometimes your clinical judgment can be more powerful than the score. Sometimes the score can be really high. And, but you know, after talking to the patient a little bit, you realize that the patient might be feeling sad because there is something specific like, a death of a loved one or, or maybe the patient is grieving. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure that you interpret the, the score uh, in the context of the patient, in the clinical context, because sometimes the, also the score can be very low yeah. and still the patient can be depressed. But this tool has been validated, so it's very reliable, uh, but just make sure that you interpret it uh, in the clinical context. Mm -hmm. It can also mean um, other things. For example, um, if there are um, at least four non-zero items, including questions one or two, you might just want to consider a depressive disorder and then add up the scores. If there are at least five non-zero items, including questions one or two, consider major depressive disorder specifically. Um, the questionnaire is a starting point for conversation with your patient about depression. Exactly. And there's a couple of things to note regarding the questionnaire and the uh, diagnosis of depression. First, physicians should make sure to verify patient responses. Given the question, Kelvy can be self-administered, and diagnosis also requires impairment in the patient's job, social, or other important areas of functioning. Two, diagnosis requires a ruling out of normal bereavement, like Dr. Ariaza mentioned, and histories of manic episodes, depressive episodes better explained by schizoaffective disorder, and you superimpose schizophrenia, a physical disorder, medication, or other biological causes of depressive symptoms. And then once a patient is newly diagnosed and is started on treatment, a regular interval of administration um, every two weeks, for example, or at every appointment of the PH PHQ-9 is recommended. Mm -hmm. To add, PHQ-9 has good reliability, validity, and high adaptability 
for major depressive disorder patients in psychiatric hospitals for screening and evaluation of depression severity. Other than PHQ-9, there is also the Geriatric Depression Scale 15 for older patients with a mini mental status exam that scored over 10. Info for postpartum depression, the preferred screening tool is the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale. So it seems like you cover all the depression screening, screening tools, so that's <laughs> very good. Thank you, guys. <laughs> of course. Um, so now to just start on treatment. Um, so now that we have diagnosed our patient, um, we have to start management for that patient. Patients can consider non-pharmacological treatments such as lifestyle modifications, and this can include sleep hygiene, reduction in drug use, increased social support, uh, regular aerobic exercise, and finding time for relaxation. Um, also, improved nutrition can help. Yeah. And furthermore, based on severity, patients can start psychotherapy alone or psychotherapy and pharmacotherapy. Admission is required for patients with complex or severe depression or suicidality. There should be an assessment of efficacy at six weeks. I think it's important to include this as well um, for a treatment, um, but there is a warning about patients who are aged 18 to 24 who are at increased risk of suicide when taking SSRIs within the first couple weeks of treatment. Um, to um, speak further on pharmacotherapy, um, the most commonly used drugs um, to treat depression are SSRIs, SNRIs, tricyclic antidepressants, MAOIs, and atypical antidepressants, which can include trazodone, mirtazapine, and bupropion. Um, more research is also being done on psychedelic drugs such as ketamine and psilocybin as possible treatments, and there's also other therapies such as ECT available too. Yeah. And as with all treatment, there are potential side effects that we should know of. For SNRIs, side effects can include initial increases in anxiety, insomnia and restlessness, and possible sexual dysfunction and headaches. Compared with the SSRI class, the SNRI class tends to induce more nausea, insomnia, dry mouth, and in rare cases, hypertension. The other drug class that is well known for having numerous side effects is tricyclics. Um, because of that, they're very infrequently prescribed unless a patient is not responding to other forms of treatment. Side effects that are included are dry mouth, um, slight blurring of vision, constipation, problems passing urine, drowsiness, dizziness, weight gain, excessive sweating, which can be especially at night. And then we should also absolutely avoid TCAs in elderly patients. Exactly. And last but not least, MAO inhibitors can cause side effects too, including dizziness or lightheadedness, dry mouth, nausea, diarrhea or constipation, drowsiness, and insomnia. Furthermore, other less common side effects can include involuntary muscle jerks, hypotension, reduced sexual desire, ability to orgasm, weight gain, difficulty starting urine flow, muscle cramps, and paresthesia. Yeah, so all those are side effects of these medications and, you know, you have to discuss uh, these, these side effects with the patient, but of course, you have to outweigh the risks and benefits. Sometimes it's better to take these side effects and improve your mood than having a depressed mood the whole life, the whole time, you know. So that's why it's important to discuss these side effects, which are less desirable and are infrequent, but still can happen. So I think we had an excellent episode. Thank you so much for teaching us about depression screening and depression treatment. And so I'm very happy that you decided to, to talk about this topic because we hadn't talked about depression in this podcast before. So um, do you want to take it home, Maddie? Can you wrap it up for us, please? 
Absolutely. So definitely, everyone, please remember to screen your patients. Um, in case you establish a diagnosis, please discuss treatments with the patients, including non-pharmacological and pharmacological options. Um, absolutely, please warn your patients about side effects and the timing to see the benefits of the medication, which can usually happen between four to six weeks, so it takes a while. Yeah, thank you so much, Mari and Jane. I hope you enjoy your rotations, and I wish you a wonderful career. Thank you. Future. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Now, we conclude episode number 161, Depression Fundamentals. Future doctors Park and Tenna discussed depression and its risk factors screening and treatment. They went through the PHQ-2 and PHQ-9 as screening tools, as well as commonly used treatments and their side effects, such as SSRIs. Dr. Ariasa also highlighted the importance of asking about suicidality in your depressed patients. There's a lot of room for improvement in that aspect. This week, we thank Hector Ariasa, Madeline Tenna, and Jane Park. Audio editing by Adrian Silva. Even without trying, every night you go to bed a little wiser. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at riobravoqweek at clinicasierravista.org or visit our website, riobravofmrp.org slash qweek. See you next week.